0: A quantum computer is a computer that thinks and computes in the way nature computes. And the reason it does that is it uses nature. I really think and hope and pray that we, as a society, cannot make the same mistakes we made with classical computing. It is not just a new technology, actually. This is an industrial revolution, and we're living through it and we should accept and acknowledge that.
1: But first, a quick message from our sponsor. Are you a scaling business looking to take your financial management to the next level? Sage Intact is here to help. Sage Intact is a powerful cloud-based financial management system that delivers automation around billing, accounting, and reporting. Voted market leaders by G2, Sage Intact is the ideal finance solution to scale your business. Learn more about how Sage Intact can support your growing business at www.sage.co.uk slash intact. Hello and welcome to the UKTN podcast, a weekly chat with the founders of some of the UK's high growth tech companies and other key stakeholders. In this series, we'll be exploring what entrepreneurship looks like in the UK right now, as well as getting tips from some of our most innovative business leaders and discussing the hot topics in the tech world. I'm your host, Jane Wakefield, and I'm joined today by Ilias Khan, Ilias founded Cambridge Quantum Computing, which merged with Honeywell Quantum Solutions to form Quantinium, where he currently serves as Chief Product Officer. Welcome, Ilias.
0: Hi, thank you. It's nice to be here.
1: First of all, Ilias, describe what Quantinium does.
0: Uh, so, Quantinium is a full-stack integrated quantum computing company. It also happens to be the largest quantum computing company in the world. And the activities, therefore, mean that... We have everything from the control systems and the fabrication of the chips all the way through to the quantum processor. We are involved in all aspects of what might traditionally be called middleware. And then, of course, we have the application set. And on the application set, we cover the waterfront from cybersecurity all the way through to artificial intelligence, and quantum chemistry, which is material discovery. Now, that's quite a lot to digest, but the bottom line is that we are an integrated quantum computing company. We're the only integrated business that I'm aware of that covers every aspect of what we might think of as traditional compute.
1: Now, in May, you launched your second quantum computer called the H2, which you've claimed is the most precise quantum computer ever built. What is it that makes it more precise and why have we sort of lacked precision to date?
0: Well, first of all, it's not just that we claim it. Uh, (laughs) There are thankfully benchmarking uh, standards all over the world now where people look and test. But that's a small point. Uh, You know, the world in which we live is uh, no longer one that will take personal claims, as you well know. But in terms of quantum computing, it is hard we are dealing with atomic or subatomic particles and controlling them, creating, controlling, and manipulating them in order to compute is something which we have been doing really for a very long time. I say we, in the broader sense, human society has been thinking about and trying to build quantum computers since the late 70s and early 1980s for at least 20 years, from the early 1980s, most of the work was theoretical. And for the last 25 years or so, it has started to become practical. And so therefore the engineering is hard. However, things have accelerated in the last couple of years. And so to be a little bit more specific about your question, think of a quantum computer as a method of taking a single atom or even something that's much smaller, a single electron, and managing it with such great control that you can implement logic gates on them. So anybody who's familiar with regular computing will know that it's all about gates, and we implement gates, this conversation you and I are having. And when I send this to you on a computer, it will go through a series of manipulations very quickly and my voice will suddenly appear on the other side. And that is what we do, except in a quantum computer, instead of using transistors, which are on off switches, we use actual physical things and those physical things are either atoms or electrons. That is very hard, that is extremely hard and that's why it has taken so long for the engineering to catch up with the theory.
1: Now, one of the headlines I read about this new machine was that you would harness a new form of matter. Is that a fair headline or are they hyping that up a bit?
0: Oh, if anything, the headlines probably understated the achievement, but it wasn't quite that headline. So the device that we've launched, which is called H2, is unique because it has the highest computing power as measured by a thing, which I won't go into the details of, but relies upon what you call all-to-all connectivity. So in any quantum computer, if somebody says, oh, I've got a quantum computer with 100 or 200 or 300 qubits, qubits is what people refer to, the real issue isn't how many you have, it's how many of them work together at the same time. And then the second factor is what's the fidelity? So if you've got a fantastic screen to watch television at home and it's very granular and blurry and you can't tell what's happening, then it's no point having this wonderful big screen because you don't know what the television program's about. So you think of these two factors, H2 has a sufficiently high number of qubits that are connected and at the same time the gate fidelities are very high and one result of that is that we can do experiments in something called condensed matter Uh, Condensed matter physics is a huge part of our lives. In fact, we do all kinds of things and spend billions of dollars a year around the world in condensed matter um, experiments. And what we did was use our computer to find something which in the future will be what we can describe as a fault tolerant qubit. And that's a big deal. And the reason it's a big deal is that whenever people have spoken about quantum computers, the narrative is, okay, well, you've got a very nice quantum computer, but what can you do with it? And why can't you do something useful today? And the answer is, trust me, don't worry, at some point, we will have a fault-tolerant computer, and at that point, it will do something. And so the trust me element is now gone because we have proven that we can create this stepping stone to fault tolerance and the state of matter that you uh, referred to in your question is that stepping stone, and it is a big deal. It's a transistor moment, if you like.
1: Now, I suppose the sort of counter-argument would be that we've had you know, traditional computers for a long time. They seem to be doing a pretty decent job. Uh, we've got supercomputers for the really hard jobs Uh why do we need um, quantum computers, especially given that they're incredibly hard to create and get right?
0: Well, nothing, I mean, first of all, nothing in life is easy, right? I mean, these telephones and computers that we take for granted today went through a process that was very hard. Uh, secondly, um, I'm not sure that many people would agree with the fact or the statement that our computers are very good. They're very limited, Um they're very good at doing certain things and we are in all of them. So I can't fly, but I can get on an aeroplane that knows how to fly better than me. And years, centuries ago, the spinning jenny was invented because it was better at weaving and spinning than any one person or group of people. And computers are very good at adding up and taking away and multiplying and dividing. And because of that, and they've got these memories that you and I don't have, They can be used for certain facts, but there are many things that computers cannot do. And if you like, a quantum computer is a computer that thinks and computes in the way nature computes. And the reason it does that is it uses nature. Existing computers are contrived. We came up with them, but nature wasn't contrived. So what do I mean as an example of something that a quantum computer can do that we can't do with existing computers? I'll give you just one example. Material discovery for the absolute solution to carbon sequestration. Now, this is a big prize. And if we spent billions, if not hundreds of billions, if not trillions of dollars, To solve this problem, what are we solving? We're solving humanity's future and the future of this planet. That's one of the reasons why quantum computing is geopolitical. Country after country all over the world have adopted a quantum policy, not because the computers are going to be a little bit better than what we've already got, or because we can get excited when a large language model can write as an essay, that doesn't add value to humanity. I mean, it might be amusing in the same way that Pac-Man was amusing when it first came out, or video games, but we're talking about fundamental issues here. And that's why everybody's been interested in this for such a long time. I could go on, there are other things that you can do with a quantum computer that you simply cannot do with a computer.
1: Let's touch on the geopolitics then, because obviously, we're seeing this field is dominated by Google, IBM, and a few players like yourself. But then also, there's big players in China. Um, has this become a form of arms race in the same way we've seen other tech um, split very much along political lines? And, and do you think that there's a, a clear winner at the moment in terms of, uh, of who might come out on top and get there first?
0: I really think and hope and pray that we, as a society, cannot make the same mistakes we made with classical computing. There's a world of haves and have-nots. And I think that it's fantastic that this is a global effort. It's fantastic that there are many, 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 many countries who are in the race, the French program, the German program, the Dutch program, each of which is worth billions, where government's putting money in, and then there are universities, and then, as you've said, there are companies, is a reflection of the fact that there isn't actually a winner-takes-all likelihood. And I hope that my answer to your question, therefore, is everybody can win because this is for the good of humanity. I talked earlier about carbon sequestration. I could have said the treatment of many oncologies. I could have said logistical issues that are beyond the ken. I could also have said AI that isn't opaque and non-accountable. You know, when Jeff Hinton resigned from Google the other day, why did he resign? Not because he was inspired by chat GPT-3 and large language models, but because he saw the dangers. And that's why I think the question is rather different and it is when can we get to a point where we all of us are capable of sharing in this incredible technology. It is not just a new technology actually, this is an industrial revolution and we're living through it and we should accept and acknowledge that.
1: A quick message from our sponsor. Are you a scaling business looking to take your financial management to the next level sage intact is here to help sage intact is a powerful cloud-based financial management system that delivers automation around billing accounting and reporting voted market leaders by g2 sage intact is the ideal finance solution to scale your business learn more about how sage intact can support your growing business at www.sage.co.uk slash intact I've actually been lucky enough to see quantum computers and they do look very different to um, normal computers. So I'm just wondering if you could kind of describe them for the for the benefit of people listening who might never have experienced this, because you think computers and you think uh, a a box and a, you know, a keyboard. A quantum computer looks kind of cyberpunkish, I would say. It's got a kind of very beautiful chamber Um, that is where the cooling of the um, qubits goes on, I believe.
0: Let me just stop you there. I I think let's look back to the first time that you and I saw a telephone. Well, at least I can speak for myself in the late 80s. It doesn't look anything like and isn't anything like the smartphone that I've got at the moment. And certainly this laptop that I'm using is nothing like the computers that we had in the late 70s and the early 80s. So I think we should be a little bit careful before we start um, going down that route. And I would say that there are eight or nine different methods that people are using to build quantum computers. Those methods are at a very early stage. Remember that to do this, you need to create, manipulate, and then measure an outcome So this cyberpunk thing is a reflection of the fact that a lot of the engineering is currently very um, bespoke. It's not being commoditized. Um, The first chips that came out in silicon, nothing like the stuff that we've got today. And I suspect and expect that, you know, there'll be nothing particularly special about the way these things are housed in the future. I don't think we're going to get to the point of a... uh, of a, of a handheld <laughs> anytime soon. Um, but these things will be um, probably data center um, components. They'll be living inside data centers. But you know, if you've got a big supercomputer today, um, you know, there, there are three or four of them around the world, they require just as much energy. And when you send a question into chat GPT-3 and ask it to write an essay about Shakespeare, I don't know, it consumes enough water to and, and electricity to, to, I don't know, to power Reykjavik for a week. We don't think of those things. So it's not really going to be that different.
1: But there is an issue with having to keep um, the chamber that, uh, where the qubits operate at absolute or nearly at absolute zero. Is that going to limit the potential of these computers going forward? or Will that ever change? Or is that always going to be the case, do you think?
0: Well, I said there are an eight or nine methods. And as you ask that question, six or seven out of the eight or nine would be saying that you you only saw one type of quantum computer. Right. Our type, it works at room temperature. So they'll say you probably saw a superconducting machine at IBM or something. Yes, I did. Uh, they, uh, they, and, and Google have the same um, technology. And, mm. um, and that does require um, cryogen- or sub-cryogenic temperatures. But there are other methodologies that don't. And you know, even for those computers that do need sub cryogenic temperatures, the infrastructure to house them is no different than the infrastructure for a big, large supercomputer.
1: Mm-hmm. Um- Let's talk a little bit about your company for a minute, because as I mentioned at the top, it's a merger between Cambridge Quantum and Honeywell. What was it like to go through that merger for people that might be kind of listening and uh, in the same position or, or, or potentially being in the same position? Have you got any tips? Have you got any advice of pitfalls to, to um, avoid?
0: Well, thank you for, for I, I, we rarely, I rarely get onto this topic when people interview me. It's always about <laughs> the, the quantum and the science, as it should be, and the use cases and the excitement and the geopolitics. But, um, you know, I'm very proud of the fact that we have quietly, in stealth, created a multicorn. I think it might well be, it's been described as as the only deep science multicorn that Britain has produced ever. I mean, we can think of Arm, and I guess we could think of, actually, I can't think of very many deep science projects that have gone on to become multicorns that have been founded here in Britain. And it's been quite a journey. Um, We live in a world where, you know, pizza delivery companies and you know, software companies and fintech companies can be or, or banks, you know, can be seen as, as as successes once they get to hundreds of millions or a few billion in, in market value. And I think the spin out from Cambridge um, back in 2014 was always ambitious. And we've just, you know, the advice I would give to anybody who who is looking at this is, you know, to remain true to what you've created um we also had a bit of a head start because we didn't have any accountability to short term investors like venture capitalists or angels we were looking at longer term capital that was always aligned with what we were doing there was never a difference of opinion between what we wanted and they wanted and i guess more recently um you know we we always put our customers first and honeywell was a customer first And Honeywell um, is a large defense and aerospace uh, industrial entity in the United States. And it was building, unbeknownst to me, it was building its own quantum computer. So they were a client first, and then we became partners. They then invested in Cambridge Quantum. So we got to know each other over a period of years. And it was only when um, that familiarity and trust had grown that when the merger was, was put forward, did both sides think it was a good idea. So it re- there really isn't one small pithy aphorism that I can give to somebody uh, or do this or do that, other than really make sure that your source of capital is aligned with your long-term objective. And building a multicorn. I mean, even that phraseology is a little bit odd. Um, you know, somebody said to me, Elias, you know, you're... What did they say? You know, you're not a tech billionaire; you're a deep science billionaire. <laughs> and, well, I think actually that's really good for Britain. Yeah. You know, we, if you think about the Industrial Revolution, Britain was in the lead. Now that's many, many hundreds of years ago, and we have a shot right now in quantum of being a world leader. We have a fantastic government program, and we have a clutch of companies that are really very good.
1: And on that point, uh, what are your thoughts on the UK's quantum strategy? The amount of money they've put forward, is that going to be enough? And do you think there's things they've missed or things they've really got right?
0: The fact that many countries look at the British programme and want to emulate it tells you all you need to know. It is a stunning success. So so if I were to name drop, it would be um, Sir Peter Knight, who I think is the godfather and creator of this vision. And he's in high demand at the moment because lots of other countries want to know what the magic is. Um, is it well-funded? Yes, it is. Um, could we do with more? Yes, we could. But we're not China, <laughs> we're not Britain, right? Um, but we have the benefit of this being in its third iteration. You know, we had the first programme, then the second, and and now the third, and I've lived through all of them. And I think it's magnificent. I I, I look, you know, can always, you know, poke holes at anything, but this is a a real success. And for it to continue to be a success, I think will take the same kind of effort that it took way back in 2013 when it got started.
1: What's the next stage for you? You know, it seems like you've had a busy year, you've come up with a new computer, uh, but is there anything else in the pipeline? That you can talk about
0: well i think that there are yes so i think that we we are looking at extending our position as global leaders um at the moment we're the only people i'm aware of that have a product which is only quantum and that is a cyber security product and obviously we're all preoccupied with security so i can i can foresee over the next few months um, it's called quantum origin, the name of the product. It's a cybersecurity key, which is um, hardened by a quantum computer. And so I think that that's a really big issue, uh, part of our progress. And I do think um, that during the course of the the, the rest of this year, we're gonna see an increase in the way in which AI is going to be influenced by quantum computers in the future. And I think that narrative will become a lot clearer as we get through this year and next. Up until now, people haven't been looking at AI through that lens.
1: And what can it do? What can quantum do? How can quantum change where we are with AI? So I think that
0: the biggest challenge we have in AI is that it is not accountable. Mm -hmm. You know, it's a black box. And so if you were in medicine or if you were in law or if you were in finance, you're not allowed to use things that aren't transparent. Now, it's one thing going to OpenAI and saying, oh, can I have a history of, I don't know, the Church of England or something. You know, it's very good. It'll tell you all the facts that are there. But if you want recommendations or if you want to create a new path for something in finance, you need to show that transparency because you're regulated. So in the first instance, and, and you know, I, I, again, I'm in danger of understating this. I think in the first instance, a quantum computer will, will allow us to bring um, interpretability to large AI models. That, that's that, That's game changing. This goes from being a toy to being something profoundly significantly important. So I don't think that's gonna happen at large scale this year or possibly even next year. But if you look at the journey of AI, look at where we've come since 2017, which is five years. If I were to look five years in the future, I think the impact is going to be even greater than the past five years.
1: Fantastic. Fascinating. Look forward to seeing those developments. But that's all we've got time for on this week's edition of the UKTM podcast. Thank you to my guest, Ilyas Khan, and to everyone listening. To keep up to date with all the latest UK tech developments, head over to www.uktech.news. Don't forget to follow UKTN on LinkedIn and Twitter, where you can also follow me with your comments and suggestions about the show. Until next time, goodbye from me. Are you a scaling business looking to take your financial management to the next level? Sage Intact is here to help. Sage Intact is a powerful cloud-based financial management system that delivers automation around billing, accounting and reporting. Voted market leaders by G2, Sage Intact is the ideal finance solution to scale your business. Learn more about how Sage Intact can support your growing business at www.sage.co.uk intact.